It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. Then Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As we were sitting there singing that song, it just powerfully kind of, um, that scripture kind of powerfully hit me where Jesus is there and he's talking to his disciples and this is kind of his last moments with them. And he says, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you and you know the way to that place so that you can be where I am. Um, and if you read that whole chapter and the next chapter and even the next chapter, he begins talking about, uh, because the disciples are kind of panicking, right? They hit this panic mode. And they're like, well, Jesus, the one that we followed all these years is going away from us. What are we to do? We've given up our lives. We've given up kind of our, our, um, our hopes, our dreams, and everything to follow him. And he's leaving us. Right? And, and Jesus says to them later on in that same passage, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. I'm going to send a comforter to be with you, right? So I'm not leaving you, right? My presence is there with you. And so it's a powerful thing that we are here in God's presence. He is with us, and he's at work and alive within us. Um, and that's a glorious thing about being a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? Hey, well, this morning we are continuing our series um, uh, called Practicing Heaven. Actually, we're wrapping it up this morning. I, I, I kind of hesitate to say we're, we're wrapping up or finishing this series about or called Practicing Heaven because we're um, this is something that's going to, I believe, is going to continue through um, the year in the life of Tri-Cities Church, this idea of being a praying people, a praying church, a church uh, that recognizes that here we are in the presence of the creator of the universe, right? The one who made this all. Here we are in his presence day upon day upon day. Uh, and he invites us, right? He welcomes us to live in relationship with him and to communicate with him. And so when we pray, like I said last week, it's not an I have to, right? It's an I get to, right? I get to talk to the creator of the universe, right? And, and that is an amazing, incredible, um, not a responsibility, right? That's an amazing, incredible opportunity that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. So I want us as a church to be taking advantage of that as much and as often as we can. Hey, I got, got one announcement for you before we get into our message for this morning. Um, uh, uh, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that. So two Sundays from now, we're beginning a series called I Heart TCC. Uh, and it's going to be a six-week series of messages. It's, if you if you've been coming to Tri Cities Church and uh, and and you you love the church and you uh, want to be a part of Tri Cities Church, this is a message for you to be uh, here for. Uh, try to look at your schedule, and if there's nothing that's like. Um, uh, like you're out of town or something like that. Even if you're out of town and it's not that important. <laughs> Maybe cancel that trip and make plans to be here on Sunday. Because this series is just that important. It's, we're just simply calling it I Heart TCC. What we're doing here, uh, we usually do what we call partnership classes, which have been at various times throughout the year. And it's really, uh, we call it partnership instead of membership because we believe that that's what God wants from us. He wants us to partner with what he's doing through his church. He doesn't just want us to belong to the church, right? He wants us to participate and be active. So people always come and they say, well, how many
many members do you have or, 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 um, or how many people are on your membership role? Like that's kind of pastor talk, like pastors talk about those kind of things and keep membership roles. Uh, and I said, we don't, we don't really keep a membership role. And they said, well, how do, many, how do you know how many people are part of your church? I said, well, how many are there on Sunday morning, right? How many are actively participating and engaged in the life of the church? Um, and, and so we, we call our members partners, right, because we want them to be actively engaged and participating in the life of the church. So what we've done is these partnership classes where you can learn what it means to be a part of Tri-Cities Church. Well, what I want us to do here is we sell, just celebrate our three-year anniversary to get our whole church on the same page and moving in the same direction. This uh, six-week series is going to be a partnership class. So if you've never been a part of one of those classes where you've uh, learned about who Tri- what Tri-Cities Church is, why we exist, um, our mission, vision, and our values. If you've never been a part of that class and never learned those things, this is an opportunity for you to do that, to hear those things. And then also at the end of this class, we're going to have an opportunity on Sunday morning where you can come early and, and, and you can uh, ask questions and you can engage on some of the questions you may have about Tri-Cities Church, why we do this, why we do that, um, uh, what are our plans, and that, that kind of stuff. Um, so that series is going to be extremely important. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. It's our first time doing this on Sunday morning, and uh, and I think it'll be uh, important in getting us all moving in the same same direction. All right. Well, let's pray, and then we'll we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you've given us this opportunity to open the scriptures and to study them. God, I love this series on prayer, and as I've opened the Bible this week and the weeks. In the past, as I've prepared for this series, God, it's just become so clear to me that you love it when we as your children talk to you. God, we love it when we treat you as a father, a good, good father, who's absolutely perfect in all your ways who's glorious and supremely good, who's omnipotent and able to do all things. God, you love it when we treat you as that kind of father. And when we treat you as that kind of father, we're talking to you and communicating with you and living our lives before you as one who can do something about the concerns and the burdens of our heart. And so, God, please teach us to pray. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, Have you ever heard the story of George Mueller? Um, He's a Christian evangelist back in the 1800s. And I remember hearing this story of his life, and I've done a lot of reading and studying about him. And I just kind of want to share his story uh, with you in a way of getting into... Uh, this topic of, of prayer. Now, George Mueller was born, I think, 1805 in Germany. And as a child, he was a, um, he was, he was a holy terror, right? He, he gave his parents a hard, hard time. From the time he was 10 years old, he began uh, stealing money from his father. His father was a tax collector for the government. And so when he would collect the taxes before he could turn them in, George would get to them, right? He was all in his pockets, his father's 
pockets, right? Taking his money and then he would go out and hang with his friends and some kids with more money than they knew what to do with. They got into all kinds of trouble and began doing adult things. They would gamble. They would um, spend the money on alcohol and they would hide in, in, uh, in alleyways and they would be drinking and, and just getting into all kinds of trouble. Now, uh, the, the mind of a kid without restraint could get into. And so George Mueller was this holy terror of a boy. Um, and when he was 14 years old, he, he hadn't yet learned the value of his parents. And um, there had to have come a time later in his life where he did learn the value of his parents and appreciate their love and care for him. But before he had learned of that, his mother was at home uh, and she was actually dying. And he wasn't there during her last moments, but was rather out with his friends and um, living the life that he felt was best for him at that time. Uh, His life kind of spiraled out of control after that. And his father, as a widow, did not know what to do with him. And so his father sent him off to this Bible college with hopes that this Bible college could transform him and, and turn his life around. And uh, so he, he, he was there, but his, his primary objective, his goal was really to learn about what Christians believed so that he could make fun of them and picket them and, and, and mock them and those kinds of things. Um, but in a very powerful way and in a real way, one evening, God got a hold of his life. He was at this Bible study and it was almost like a light bulb came on in his in his heart right um that that uh and he he was had this kind of a strong conversion experience and when you read his writings the way he describes it was i was happy right and i couldn't even tell you why uh the joy of the lord came upon me and began to transform and turn my life around and from that point forward uh, he learned that Bible study and through the power of prayer that he witnessed in other believers, he began to learn something about the power of prayer. Now, George Mueller's life is an example to us in many ways. And in one way is, I think some of us, uh, and, um, and I would be one of those, some of us become followers of Jesus Christ and we feel like our lives are now in God's hand, which they are, and that because they're in a God, in the hands of God, who's supremely good, that now things ought to be easier as followers of Christ than they were before becoming followers of Christ. But as George Mueller learned quickly, right, that his life as a follower of Christ was terribly difficult, right? So in the 1930s in particular, um, he lost, uh, three children in the 1930s. He lost his brother. 1940, he lost his father, right? He went through extreme hardship uh, in his life as a follower of Jesus Christ when it seemed that things should be getting better for him. Um, but in 1930, or 1836, he started this orphanage, right? The first of five that he would later go on to start. Now, Mueller had this uh, kind of 
interesting relationship with prayer that was rarely seen in people's lives today. He believed that uh, all that he needed and all the resources that he needed were within God's hands, right? Ultimately, that God had every resource that he needed. And so what he did in his life when he would start these orphanages is that he never raised money. He never asked for a dime. He never asked for a thing to get the work that God called him to do accomplished. Rather, he just prayed to the God who owned it all. Right. And so he had this extremely powerful prayer life. And I imagine this image of George uh, Mueller down on the ground night after night after night, just telling God, this is what we need to get the work done. These are the resources that we're short on. God, this is how we need you to act in, in, the, in our lives so that we can continue to take care of these, um, these um, fatherless and, and motherless children. And he believed that all the resources that he needed were God's. And he took God at his word. There's this scripture that was uh, powerful in his life in Psalm 84, verse, uh, verse 11. It says, for the Lord is a, son, is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless, right? And that scripture right there, those, those words, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And he believed that what he received from God was ultimately for his good. And what he lacked was for his good as well. He took God at his word and believed that God would provide everything that he needed. I looked at some of the pictures of these orphanages that George Mueller built. And, and you know, for me, and I've heard this story over and over again uh, uh, throughout the several years. I've heard it told. I've uh, looked at, at his biography. I've read uh, articles about him online. Um, and, and so for me, when he said orphanages, I mean, that he started orphanages, in my head, at least I was thinking that he had like these small houses, right, that he would have maybe 10 or 15 kids in. And then I saw the size and the scope of these orphanages. I think yeah, there are some pictures behind us. And they're not clear. I mean, this is the 1800s, y'all. So, um, uh, but look at the size of these buildings that he built. Never once did he ask for a dime, right? Never once did he have any kind of fundraising campaign. Now, when we started Tri-Cities Church, right, when we were thinking about our vision for the church uh, and, and, and how we would get a church off the ground, uh, one of the big components of what we thought about, strategized, and planned was how can we raise money, right? How can we ask people? How can we present Tri-Cities Church in a way that it's compelling and somebody would want to give to God's vision happening here? But George Mueller, what he did was he built these massive orphanages on the foundation of prayer. He went to God and said, God, this is what we need. And over the course of his lifetime, he built five different orphanages, cared for over 10,000 orphans. And he raised what would be an equivalent of $150 million simply through prayer. Simply through prayer. It's a powerful story. The thing that hits me most about this story that kind of um, made me pause and step back is that I, I thought, man, this guy, like he, he must, I don't, I don't want this to sound bad, but he must have, a, have a, this deep kind of heart for children and this brokenness 
for these, these uh, homeless kids. But when you read his story, I mean, he even says it almost as clear as that, right? It wasn't that my heart broke for these kids, but my heart was fast after the things of God, right? And that he wanted to show that God was good enough in this. And so he's clear over and over again in his writings and his retelling of his story that the reason I'm doing this isn't because I want so deeply to provide a home for kids, but I want God's glory to be seen in God's provision day upon day upon day. And even till this day, the George Mueller Foundation will never ask for a dime, right? They simply pray and ask God. And God has provide. You see, we can learn something from George Mueller's life about prayer. And that's that prayer is a continuation of a conversation that God initiated with us. And that's the big idea that I want you to get this morning, that prayer is the the continuation of a conversation that God initiated with us us. For George Mueller, this meant this, um, that, that um, he spent a lot of time reading the scriptures because he understood that the primary way that God speaks to his people is through his word, through his written word, through the Bible. And so throughout the course of his life, he read the Bible um, more than 200 times throughout the course of his life. Now, he only lived to be 92 years old. So you do the math, right? That means that there were some years, and then I imagine he wasn't reading it at five, um, <laughs> Yeah, he wasn't because he was wild then. Um, So I I imagine he probably didn't start until he was 20. So let's just say over the course of 72 years, he read the Bible uh, over 200 times. That means this guy was hard in the word of God day in and day out, right? And because he believed that that was the way that God was uh, speaking to us. Now, I I remember I I grew up up in the church and and I didn't... um, I never had anybody really challenge me to read uh, the Bible cover to cover. Um, and I graduated from um, from uh, college, from Point University, and uh, with a degree in biblical studies. And I had never read the Bible cover to cover. Um, I graduated from uh, seminary with a Master's of Divinity. Uh, and uh, so here we have, what, uh, seven years of theological education. And I had never read the Bible cover to cover. And every now and then somebody would say, hey, have you ever read the Bible cover? And I said, oh, I'm sure I've read most of it, right? Um, there might be a couple of verses in there that I missed, but I'm sure I, I kind of got the gist of it, right? Um, and, and so here I was, and I'm just like, I, I, yeah, I've read a lot of the Bible, right? I've taken tests and exams and written papers, and I've studied it. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure I've pretty much covered the bases, right? Um, but there was something powerful. After I finished seminary, I was at the first church that I ever pastored, and I heard about this 90-day challenge, because here, this is me, right? And I'm just going to be transparent with you guys and you might want to try the 90-day challenge. But but I had tried uh, on several occasions to get the, that Bible in a year. They actually have one printed that if you read, it's like set for 365 days, and you can just read straight through it, and it has different segments that you read. I had tried over and over again, and, and I'll just be honest, I, I just can't stick with something uh, over, for a whole year, right? So I had started that, and I would forget, and I would get like eight days behind, and I felt like I was too far behind to catch up. And I just got frustrated, so I heard this challenge, this 90-day, read the Bible, a 90-day challenge. Yeah, I broke it down into sections, and all you had to do. And so what I did was every morning, I would get up early, and I would sit at the kitchen table, and I would just pound through the Word of God, right? And I would write down the questions that I, that I had um, that, that ever popped in my mind. And in 90 days, um, for the 
first time after studying the Bible all those years, right? I read through the Bible uh, cover to cover, and it was such a powerful experience because it's there in God's Word that God is speaking. And God's not just speaking, but God is speaking to us, right? And He's revealing Himself to us. And what we see in the Bible from beginning to end, there's this powerful message and this powerful identity and character and nature of God that's easy for us to miss, and that's that God's primary objective, we see it in God's word, God's primary objective is to glorify himself, right? God is primarily concerned with glorifying himself. And so we have the story of George Mueller, and we have, uh, like, it's like, okay, so um, why is George Mueller so uh, busy after, why is he so busying himself with glorifying God? Because he realized that that's what God does, right? He realizes that because he's read the Bible cover to cover, that he's seen in the scriptures that the way God works and the things God is concerned about is ultimately, first and foremost, to glorify himself, to make much of his name. Now, I was, I was wrestling this morning because I knew what I was going to talk about, um, and and I and, um, and and this word glory is, is kind of difficult for us. Um, it's one of those words that we kind of say in a church and we don't define and we expect everybody to know what it means. Um, and uh, it's like, yeah, everybody knows. I, I'm glorifying God, right? I'm, that's what we do. We just glorify God. Um, and so what does it mean? Uh, what does this word glory actually mean? Uh, and so I, I kind of wrote down this definition. And um, if you want to add something to it or take something away from it, let me know. Um, but, but here's the definition that I've come up with glory from scriptures, from the scripture. It says it's the supreme goodness of God revealed by his presence, right? The supreme goodness of God. It's not just that God is good, right? Like that we are good. We do some good things. But it's the supreme goodness of God revealed by his presence. So God is present here, right? And his goodness is present in our lives um, that distinguishes him from creation and makes his name famous. And so when the scriptures are talking about God's glory, Right, It's talking about this supreme goodness of God that's revealed by his presence to us, right? That we come to see and know in our lives actually that God is good. It's revealed by his presence. It distinguishes him from creation, right? We can do some good things, but we are not supremely good. Only God is supremely good, and we only come to know his supreme goodness as we yield our lives to him. Uh, And it makes his name famous. The reason why we're gathered here in this place is because of God's glory, because we've come to know his name, because he's come to be famous among us. Look at Ephesians chapter um, um, chapter 1. There's a scripture there um, that talks about even in our salvation, God is wanting to glorify himself, right? That's his primary objective. And we could look at the scriptures from beginning to end in different passages, and we could read about it. But uh, over and over again, the Bible's clear that God acts ultimately, first and foremost, for his own glory. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. It says, we were also chosen, uh, chosen. In, in him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his will. Right, so we've been chosen, right? Um, we were also chosen. This is Paul writing. We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his will. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. So this is Paul is talking, and he's talking about um, those who've been called to the work of God, right? Who were called by him, predestined, foreknown by him to be sent to do this work, right? So he's not here talking about 
I don't know if you've heard about doctrine or theology of predestination. He's not here talking about God kind of picking people out of this world and choosing to kind of randomly or haphazardly or or even according to the mind and logic of God save certain people and reject others, um, which is somehow how the doctrine of predestination is taught. Right, But instead he's teaching that God had this ultimate plan, this supreme and sovereign plan from the beginning of time. And in order to enact that plan, he chose some to use them for his service so that the gospel might be preached and that all people might come to know about the saving power and grace of Jesus Christ. And so here Paul is saying, in him we were chosen, those who've God called to uh, be his ministers, to serve on his behalf, to open up this gospel to all people. We were predestined for this purpose according to the plan of him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we who were the first to put our hope, we were the first of many, to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And then look at verse 13. And you also, right? So God chose us to open up this plan to the rest of the world. And then he says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed and were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Basically, he's laying out God's plan of salvation for human beings, right? He places his Holy Spirit on you, which transforms your life, right? It marks you, right? He says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, right? Saying that God is doing something in our lives so that God's Spirit, which brings about this transformation in in us towards godliness, towards holiness, right? That's God's seal upon you that's pointing forward to the time when you will go to be with God forever in complete holiness and perfection, right? But he does this, and this is where... um, we in, in our in our kind of narcissistic, self-absorbed culture get this mixed up. He does this not because um, not not because he not because he wants us to somehow feel good about ourselves, right? Or, or not because he he wants us to feel um, valuable, or, or, or he wants somehow to make us feel like. Um, that the whole world, right, because this is kind of what our, our culture teaches us, right, that the whole world, including God, revolves around us, right? It's easy to get this mixed up. But the scriptures are teaching us that God is saving you, but he's not saving you for you, right? He's not saving you so that you might enjoy heaven or enjoy salvation or enjoy the goodness and favor of God. But he's saving you ultimately, first and foremost, for his own glory, right? And that's the word of God that's communicated to us in scripture, right? It says, go back to verse um, 14. Um, it says, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So he's saving us so that we might reveal his supreme goodness so that the world might come to know that God, the God we serve, is supremely good. Now, prayer. Prayer that ignores that fact. 
right? Prayer that ignores what God has revealed to us, right? Dishonors God. And so our prayers, when we see prayer and we see it in, in George Mueller's life where he was asking God for God to provide for these, these, um, these orphans, these, these fam- fatherless, motherless children, when, when he's asking God to provide for them, he's doing that because he wants to show that God is supremely good and he wants to show that God is supremely good because he has first heard God's word to him This says, my primary objective is to glorify myself through you. And so what he wants to do is listen to God. And and, and that's so crucial in the practice of prayer is that we listen to God to hear what God is saying in scriptures. Because it's only as we listen to God, as he reveals himself in scriptures, that we get to know who God is and God's nature, God's character. Um, Because there are times, maybe you've been there, um, and I've, and I've heard some, you know, um, I've, I've just heard some crazy stuff, right? Um, that, that's been, uh, often we put things on God that God would wants nothing to do with, right? Um, we, we, uh, we read things into God. We read our own desires, our own thoughts, our own wishes into God. And sometimes we, uh, we, we kind of, we call ourselves attributing things to God that God has done. And it's more like we're blaming God, right? For things that God would never have anything to do with. Um, but the, the thing that we gotta get about prayer is that we pray, our prayers are shaped Um, They're shaped by the way God has revealed himself to us. And so as we come to know God, as we mature in our faith, right, our prayers begin to change and look differently. You see, for me, this is, and I I used to do this um, until it it, it kind of almost like a light bulb came on. I shared this with you guys once before. Um, Is that for me, prayer was... It was kind of like this rundown of a list of things that I needed God to do in my life, right? And so I could sit there and, 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 um, and I could say, hey, what do, what do I need God to do in my life, right? And I would sit there and I could write these lists of things, right? And, and it could be, I mean, they, they, could, they could range a whole spectrum of things. I need God to make my car work um, better, right? Or um, I need God to, to, to bless me with a, a, a new job or a better job. Or I need God to provide for me in this way uh, financially, or I need God to do this um, for me. And then, then I read the Lord's Prayer, um, where it's, it's not that we don't ask God for anything, but it definitely doesn't begin there. It begins with, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name, right? It begins with this knowledge of the supremely good God that we can only get through scriptures. And so here is, is what prayer looks like. Prayer looks like getting to know God first so that we can pray to the God that we know, right? And we can pray for things that fall within his nature uh, and character. And that, that doesn't mean that these lists of things, right, that we're asking God for things and that those things are somehow wrong. It just means that, the, that, that um, God's nature and character shapes the things we ask for. That we ask for things that are first and foremost for God's glory. And what we see over and over again in the scriptures is that prayers that listen to God honor God, and God honors prayers that honor Him. That prayers that listen to God first honor God, and God honors prayers 
that honor him first. Because if we treat God like this, God is only there to fulfill our needs and desires, to run down our list and give us this, that, or the other, right? Um, that, that's not the God, um, that's not the God of Scripture. Listen, listen to Matthew chapter 6. There's this powerful verse in Matthew chapter 6 about what God does in our lives. Matthew chapter 6 verse, I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. Listen to what it says. And this is a popular scripture. You've probably heard it before. It teaches us something very important about prayer. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by by worrying at a single hour to your life. So the scripture is saying this is, this is kind of, this is kind of, uh, human kind of standard mode of operation, right? Um, there are certain things that we need in our lives. We need food, we need water, we need clothing, we need love, we need, uh, uh jobs to be able to help us provide those kinds of things. Um, there's this, this standard list of needs. And so our, our kind of our mode of operation as humans is to begin worrying about those things. And then reducing our prayers to God to uh, request for those things, right? For those things that we worry about, desire, want. And so prayer begins, begins to be uh, reduced to these, these kind of lists. And Jesus is saying, hey, your father has a record, right? Your father in heaven has a record of providing those things. In fact, you can be, you can rest assured that he will provide those things. Look at what it says in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothed the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear for the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough worry. Uh, so for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Right. And it's this ideal of this. Uh, uh, the word that comes to mind is this release. Right. This release from the cares um, the needs, this trusting of God with those things so that we can elevate our prayers above that. Remember last week we talked about these bold prayers and that there's some promises of God that won't be revealed unless we are persistent in prayer to God above about those. And God wants us as a church elevating our prayers above our needs. Yes, God wants you to be concerned about your needs and he wants you to stay working at your job and he wants you to um, continue pursuing things. But he says, hey, I've taken care of your needs. Now elevate your prayers above that. The thing I love about George Mueller's life is that um, he didn't stop at one orphanage when he started one, right? And he didn't stop at two when he started the second one. But there were five massive orphanages that he looked after till he was 92 years old because he realized that as long as he was doing something new for God, that it was going to stretch him in his faith and it was going to require him to continue to pray. And what often I, I do, and, I, and I'm going to put myself here, but I think I'm putting myself in good company. What we often do, right, is, is that once we have enough, we're satisfied and content in that, and we don't live lives that put our, um, 
put our name at risk so much so that we, that, that it's kind of like this, this idea that if God doesn't do it, it's just not going to happen. But God wants us stepping out in faith in bold and courageous ways so that our name is on it. But if God doesn't do it, it's just not going to happen. You see, Mueller knew, right? He knew that God had to provide. And if he didn't, people were going to go, he failed. He messed up. But he was standing on God's word and he was provided, uh, he was trusting that God would provide all that he needed. And so I guess my thing this morning is, I'm wondering what it looks like for us to be the church that does that, right? What does it look like for us to be the church that takes those bold steps, a church that does things that God must be in, a church that dreams so boldly, so big, so audaciously, right? A church that thinks so grandly, that when the world sees this kind of church, they're going, God must be in that. God must be present there. What does that look like for us? And as a church, and this is just kind of, I think, the way God is leading us, that's what this year is going to look like. It's going to look like, how can we as a church dream God-sized dreams so that if God isn't in it, right, um, it just is going to crumble and fall. But we want to dream these God-sized dreams so that we give God every single opportunity to show His glory, right? His supreme goodness in and through the church. So how can you, how can you, right? How can you dream those kind of dreams, right? How can you take those kind of steps of faith? Right? How can you live that kind of life that those around you are looking at your life and saying, God must be, God must be in there. God must be present. God, there must be a God working through his or her life. Because that's the kind of prayer that God is desiring from his church. I ran to this guy and I, I, um, I tell you, I, I, I'm at Drip Coffee Shop, um, quite often and they have these, this barista that's there and, um, and, and he says something to me that just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. He asked me what I was preaching on. I told him, I was talking about prayer. Um, and he said, uh, our prayers have become so Americanized, right? And, uh, and I kind of said, hey, what do you, what do you mean? And he says, our prayers are just like everything else in our society. They're focused on our pleasure and our enjoyment, our good, instead of on God's glory. And I wanted to say, hey, will you come and stand up here and tell that to, like, say that? Because I couldn't say it as good as he did, right? But in, our prayers have become so Americanized that we're focused on our good when God says, I got that taken care of. How can we dream dreams where God is glorified when we find ourselves on our knees begging God for things that will ultimately reveal his glory? So there's a couple of things I think we can see from George Mueller's life, from the scriptures that teach us how we can enrich our prayer lives. Because our goal for, for Tri-Cities Church this year is that we, uh, that we have deeper prayer lives. I think the first thing that we can see is that we have to be first motivated by God's glory. 
right? That we have to be motivated by God's glory, motivated to show that God is supremely good in all things, right? It's only as our motive becomes God's glory that we become conduits of God's glory, that God's goodness is seen uh, through us to the world, right? It's that scripture in Matthew chapter 5, let your light shine before men and women that they may see your good light and praise your Father who is in heaven, right? This ideal of we live in this world as people who are given to glorifying God. God, right? Not given to getting good things, not giving, getting to receiving good, not get it, given to um, being blessed by God with abundance and more stuff. Um, although there are times that God will do that. But when God blesses us, even with more stuff, right, it's ultimately so that we can bless others, right? God blesses us so that we can be a blessing in this world because everything that God does, every answer, and I can guarantee you this, every answer to prayer that God gives is going to first be for his own glory. This is the idea of, and, and the word that popped into my mind this week, and I say, hey, Kim, does this make sense? And she says, eh, maybe. But I'm going to say it anyway because I'm not sure if it made sense. Um, but it's this, this glory filter, right? This, this idea of this glory filter. So when we offer prayers to God, I, I think the question we got to ask is, how is this going to glorify God? Right? So if I'm asking God for just more stuff, right, this ultimately going to glorify me, that may be a prayer that I need to step back and reconsider, right? Or maybe before I pray it, I need to know how this is going to glorify God, right? If I want a bigger house, how am I going to use that bigger house for God's glory, right? How am I going to use it to serve his kingdom, right? If I want a better car, how am I going to use that? For God's glory, because here's what we've done, right? We've t- taken things that were created for an original purpose, right? A car created to get us from point A to point B, right? Clothes that were created to, you know, so we didn't have to walk around naked. Um, uh, a house so that we had shelter and we could be protected from, from the elements, right? That we've taken those things that, that have their original purpose and we've transformed their purpose so that they were ultimately for our enjoyment, right? Uh, car, how can I get one with leather seats that are heated? I think they got air-conditioned seats now. Got all kinds of talks to me. I can talk to it. I got a friend and a car all in one, right? That, that is a marvelous thing. Um, but we've created these things to be for our own now. We've made these things to be all about our own enjoyment when God intended these things to be for his glory. So yeah, pray for a new car, pray for a bigger house, pray for a better job. But ultimately, right, how is God glorified in that? Right? And so our lives must first exist for God's glory. The second thing I want you to see is that we must read Scripture like our life depends on it. Read Scripture like our life depends on it because our prayer life does depend on it. What George Mueller knew and and what I'm learning and hopefully we as a church learn together is that we got to read Scripture like crazy if we're ever going to have better prayer lives. In fact, the best thing you can do to increase your prayer life is not to pray more, right? But it's to read Scripture more, to get to know the God that you're praying to, to get to know His nature and care character and how he works in this world because as you know god your prayer life begins to grow as you know god god stretches you out of your comfort zone god calls you to do things that you would not have done before and as god calls you to do things that you would not have done before you have to depend on them more some of us come only up until the point of of um of of, of where we just can't do it ourselves and then we back away 
right? And then we come back up to that point where we just can't do it ourselves, and then we back away, and we never cross over that line of, I just can't do it myself, and I need God. God wants us crossing that line every single day, and the only way that becomes a reality in our lives is when we're reading the scriptures and allowing God, through his word, to stretch us out of our comfort zone. I've always asked this question, what makes the difference between a person like George Mueller, right? I don't have a better way of saying this, but, but any other everyday person. What, what makes the difference between George Mueller? Is it that God placed something super special in him? Or was it that he was reading the scriptures and taking God at his word and allowing God to stretch him out of his comfort zone? I believe that we as followers of Jesus Christ got to be willing to be stretched out of our comfort zone so that we have to, uh, so that we have to trust and depend on God more. Listen, the biggest thing, the biggest, the, the best thing you can do to stretch your faith, to mature spiritually is to do God-sized things that you could say, I would not have done that if it wasn't for the God who's at work within me. Third thing I think we have to do. So the first thing is we have to uh, live for God's glory. Second thing uh, is we have to read Scripture like it's going out of style, right? Um, uh, third thing we have to do is, is we, have to, um, we have to press into the paradox of prayer. Right? There's this, this paradox that's happening here. On the one hand, God is saying, asking you will receive. Knocking, we looked at that scripture last week, knocking, the door will be open, right? Um, and so asking you will receive, seeking you will find, knocking, the door will be open. But on the other hand, the scripture is saying, ask anything according to my will. So the Bible is saying, hey, ask for anything and, and, I, and you will get it. But then on the other hand, it's saying, ask for anything in my will. And the question is, well, which is it? Right? And, and I heard Tim Keller say this, um, and he's a preacher up in New York, and he said that our prayers have a safety valve on them. Kind of like a gun has a safety valve on it. If you own a gun, um, you know, a gun has a safety valve so it doesn't accidentally fire and, and hurt someone. Right? Our prayers are like a, they're like a gun, right? There's some things, and let, let's not take that um, analogy too far, but there's some things that we ask for that'll be like shooting ourselves in the foot, right? Because we're not all wise, all knowing God, right? We don't know what's ultimately for our good and what's not. And so our prayers have a safety valve on them. And what God wants us to do is to press into this paradox, right? To ask for things that we don't know. We, we don't know whether that's God's will or not, but to persist in that prayer and to ask God for it. But at the same time, trust that God's only going to give us what's according to our will and what's for our good. Because here's the deal with God, right? God's far too wise and God's far too good to give us everything we ask for. Because I guarantee you that if God gave you everything you asked for, in retrospect, you'd want to turn and curse him. Because you'd realize that some of the things you received were to your detriment and were much more than you could handle. But the scriptures teach us that God's only going to give us what we can handle. So we press into that paradox. We ask God for things. We, um, I was thinking about, uh, I, don't, I don't really watch sports or play sports anymore i used to play a little bit of football um but we used to play uh uh john madden on the sega genesis right uh and my favorite play on and that football <laughs> sega genesis yeah oh, that was the thing huh huh what 
Uh, they're talking to me. I don't know what they're saying. Um, <clears throat> my, my favorite thing was, was to throw a Hail Mary, right? Um, it's just you just kind of toss the ball up in the air and just hope somebody catches it. At least that's the way it, looked, the way it looked like to me. And I feel like on the one hand, that's the way God is calling us to pray, right? To throw Hail Marys. God, do this. God, do this. God, do this. But then to trust God on the other hand, to do only what's for our good and for God's glory, right? We got to press into that paradox of prayer. Fourth thing I think we can do is we just, we got to be a praying church, right? We got to be a people who pray and who stretch ourselves out of our comfort zone in prayer. I believe we have to schedule prayer into our daily lives, right? We have to make time for it. We have to make it part of our habit and our routine. Um, We got to learn to begin praying with other people, right? Praying with our spouses, right? If you've never prayed with your husband or prayed with your wife, sit down this week and do that, right? Make an intentional decision to to do that, right? If you've never prayed with your children, make an intentional decision to, to do that. Because God does something in prayer that, that we don't fully understand, but he meets us there. And the Bible teaches us that he does something miraculous there. And so we must be willing to pray, to schedule it in, to make it an intentional, everyday part of our lives. It honors God, and God honors prayer. All right, let's pray. God, we give you thanks uh, for your word this morning that... You are through the scriptures teaching us to pray, that you want us to pray big, bold, audacious, specific, persistent prayers. But at the same time, God, you want us to know you. You want us to know the God that we're praying to, a God that's looking um, primarily, a God that's um, looking to glorify himself. And God, we love the fact that you want to glorify yourself because glory is your supreme goodness being revealed among us. And God, if your supreme goodness is being revealed, we're benefactors of that. That's our inheritance. God, I thank you that you're not a God who's just up in heaven enjoying your goodness. But you've come to earth that we might experience your goodness here. God, I pray that more and more we will walk with you that we allow you to stretch us out of our comfort zone, that you will help us to dream God-sized prayers as individuals and as a church, God. Help us to dream God-sized prayers so that when we're at the end of everything that we're able to do, we'll find ourselves on our knees begging you to do what only you're able to do. And that the world may see those things and glorify you. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.